How about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you can you can be honest. Because <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins. Brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Good evening, everyone. It is July 11th. We're here for episode 73 of Chasing Giants with um, with Don Higgins, brought to you by Biofarm.com. I'm Terry Peer. Don, it's been kind of a whirlwind of the last couple weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. With uh, wrapping up the Lester's Feet Raffle, the Fourth of July, and some velvet boxers starting to show themselves, it's uh, starting to get exciting. Yeah, I mean, the anticipation, we made a post of um, our buddy uh, Tony Zyke uh, took a picture of a velvet buck and posted it, and I shared it on the Real World site today. It's it's like um, once those cameras get out and July 4th starts hitting, the uh, all of the prep work that we've been working on, we start seeing those first puzzle pieces come together and get getting a little excited about trying to find uh, a good buck to hunt. Well, this is one of the most exciting times of the year for me. I I can tell you that um, just this past week, for example, I went and got permission on two new properties that uh, I've never hunted in the past, um, both within less than an hour from my house. So uh, lots of potential there, I believe. Um, put out a lot of cameras this week. So uh, just looking to find a giant. I, I've seen uh, you know, the bucks are really starting to show themselves in the bean fields in the evenings and i've been driving around the most evenings and on a typical evening you know i'm probably seeing 10 or so bucks um covering a lot of ground to do it but uh seeing a lot of bucks in like the 140 150 range but i just haven't seen a giant yet right um talk about these two properties a little bit is it something that you got a lead on for a big buck being in the area or is it just good properties that have potential where you're going to start building the history with the animals uh and the bucks that are there over the next couple years well it's kind of one of each there's a uh, property i ran across last winter and stopped and talked to a landowner and um he owns uh, multiple properties one of them is a just it looks fantastic it's along a river and uh it's a lot of woods on it but also some some grassy areas that are mowed for hay in a really good area but he, he just he's one of them old old school guys that's super nice and he, he lets anybody hunt that stops and asks mm-hmm. and he told me i can hunt that but there's other guys hunting it and i thought well that that just pretty much ruins it for a big buck if we human intrusion as we we've said a thousand times ruins a property and if there's one other hunter there i don't want to be there but looking on on axe i found another property this guy hunts it's almost all ag field with one little brushy draw on it and uh 
that so this guy owns or hunts? Yeah, he owns it. Okay. Owns that one too. Okay. And uh, so I went back and seen the old guy again here this week, and uh, he remembered me and everything. And and I said, well, I'll tell you what, I, I really I, I was checking out the uh, my my app here on my phone. I see you own this this other piece down the road. And I said, that's really where I'd like to hunt. And he says, yeah, you can hunt there. And he said, you know, the crazy thing is, is that that's where I see the biggest bucks at. He says, everybody wants to hunt back here along the river, but I see the biggest bucks on the other place. And I said, do me a favor and don't tell anybody that. Right. <laughs> and uh, it's not a very big area. And he said, yeah, that's not a big enough spot for very many people. I said, no, me, it's plenty if that's okay with you. He said, yeah, I'll let them go the other way. <laughs> so, uh, I, I got permission on that one, put a camera up there, and his neighbor has a, uh, across the field, there's a, a hedgerow that looked really good, too, and, and again, it's surrounded by ag country, but um, I just found that's where them big bucks live, and, mm -hmm. and uh, so I'm going to see his neighbor and try to get permission there, but the other piece comes to me, it's, uh, oh, there was a, a, Let's just say somebody put out a, a piece of information. I think it was planted to get back to me that uh, because I get sent on some wild goose chases. People know I hear about a big buck. I'm tracking the thing down. Right. And so some of the local hunters that, uh, you know, don't like the competition, they'll try to send me on some wild goose chases. Well, I got sent on one, and uh, at least that's what I thought when it started. And I cruised by that place one evening, and it was it was the first evening I ever drove by these place at this place. And when I did, I seen two bachelor groups of bucks. In the first bachelor group, there was four bucks in it. And when when I came down the road, they seen me about the time I seen them, and they took off running for the cornfield. And just guessing, I would say they they were all mature deer, and I would say every one of them was probably going to score. 150 or better and, and there could have been one a, a good bit better than that and, and then I, I drove one a little bit farther and there's three more bucks in another field two of them were just uh, little yearlings but one of them was probably a you know 150 to 160 10 point and i seen enough to know that i, I need to get some cameras in there so uh through onyx i tracked down the landowner and, and as luck would have it he gave me permission to to go in there and, and put cameras up. And if there's something in there I want to hunt, he gave me permission to, to bow hunt there too. So good deal. Two, these properties are, are probably 20, 30 miles apart, uh, two different scenarios, but, uh, you know, new areas always exciting to hunt a new area. And, and, uh, but they're just the kind of places I look for, you know, it's hard to describe, but when I drive down the road, I'll see, you know, things just come together and click, and they did on both of these properties. So, I got high hopes anyway. Well, we'll be uh, we'll be following you along as you navigate that. Um, we got a lot to talk about today. Um, I want to uh, talk a little bit about. Um, I don't know if it was a boo boo or or what about the uh, song that you posted on social media we're going to do that in a little bit and uh, maybe even play the song later um, we're going to start a new series called uh, don's best and or best and worst of the week we're going to do that today 
But something that um, I want to pick your brain a little bit as you're talking about trail cameras is all of these guys are posting on uh, on social media pictures of bucks making predictions of how big they're going to be. And mm-hmm. I was hoping, based on your experience of you know not only wild but captive deer, when we're looking at velvet pictures, uh, what are some lessons or some tips that you can provide people on kind of how much more growing is this thing going to get? Well, I can tell you there's a lot of misunderstanding among deer hunters about the the antler growth cycle. And I've seen those posts recently too, Terry, where, you know, somebody will post a picture of a buck and, and somebody will say, you know, uh, you know, it's only early July. He's still got two months of growing left or, or whatever. And, um, a couple of years ago, I actually wrote a blog post and, uh, on this topic on antler growth and how it varies from one buck to another. There'll be bucks that'll pretty much be done growing by, you know, another week or two. Um, here in July, you know, they'll pretty much have all the inches they're going to have on their head. And then there'll be other bucks that are pushing the end of August. And uh, I showed some examples and with photos on that blog post from captive deer, the pictures were all taken the same day. And you could see how some bucks were a whole lot further along than others. And basically the way to tell if you're looking at a buck's picture is look at how rounded the end of, of those uh, points are of each time. If they're really rounded, there's still some growing to do. And, uh, if they're already starting to come to a little bit of a point, then uh, there's no, they're not going to get a whole lot longer. They're pretty much wrapping it up, and it doesn't end the same. It doesn't matter. It could be two bucks on the same farm. Uh, one buck could be a month ahead of another buck as far as antler growth, and I don't think it, it it's going to matter. Um, you know how big they're going to get. Um, for example, the bucks that grow into late August aren't necessarily the biggest bucks always. I think it's just kind of an individual thing that, that some of them grow those racks, they'll start sooner and finish sooner. Um, some of them, you know, just uh, take a little bit longer. So I find this absolutely fascinating. So I don't even know that the questions I'm going to ask you are can be answered with anything other than opinion. Is the growing cycle based on when it is during the summer? So you said some might be about finished up, some may go into August. Is that dictated by when that buck shed the winter before? I don't have a good answer for that one, Terry. I think there, I, I don't think it, it relates. Um, I think the antler shedding cycle in the you know late winter, early spring, some of that has to do uh, with stress, no doubt about it. You know, right. a buck gets injured or, or it's a rough winter and right. he doesn't have the food sources, he'll shed a whole lot, lot quicker. I don't think they're tied, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I think uh, there's no way really to scientifically uh, that I know of have an opinion with wild deer, but, you know, there's a lot of people that believe the earlier a buck sheds, the bigger the rack's going to be the following year. The later that it sheds, um, it might not put on a ton of growth the following year. And I, I don't know that there's really a methodology to prove that in the wild deer herd. No, you know, when I, I had those captive deer for a period of about 25 years, and in that that time I watched probably 200 different bucks grow their racks um, over, a, you know, a period of three to four years each. And uh, I just never saw a correlation from 
you know, when they dropped to how big their antlers were. All right, so my next question is the pictures of bucks that I'm getting right now. Um, let's let's kind of work from the bases on out. From a base standpoint, um, is it is the mass of what we see on an antler pretty much what it's going to be, or does a buck grow mass through the growing cycle, or does it come out of its head the same diameter it's finishing? Well, actually, it comes out of its head a little bit bigger than what it's going to finish because uh, you know it'll it'll grow that entire antler. And then we'll see it in late August where it almost shrinks as that antler, as blood flow to that antler stops, it kind of, and the antler itself solidifies or Mm -hmm. it it actually shrinks down. So the belief that the belief that a buck will put on mass during the growing cycle is false. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's going to have that mass as that antler grows. Well, most of the time with the pictures of the bucks that I get, we start to see as those antlers start growing and we see that frame coming around, uh, the brow tines will get to a point, a sharp point in velvet, a whole lot before the frame is kind of finished and the rest of the tines coming out. Does the antler kind of work and kind of finish its growth stage from kind of the center out the frame? meaning it'll finish the, the G1s or the brow tines, then it'll finish the twos, then it'll finish the threes, and then it'll finish the main beams or however many points and kickers and whatnot that it has. Does it does it kind of work its way around during the cycle? That's pretty much mo- – that's a good description. And uh, most of the time it does work that way. Um, I mean, right now, you if you look at a, a velvet picture that was just taken here this week the brow tines are pretty much done growing on on most yeah they're to a sharp point in velvet so when we see that they're pretty much all the way done right right yep and then we got i got a picture of a buck that i shared with you and i actually even posted it on social media i usually don't do that but where the g2 is almost it gets really wide almost like it's thinking that it's going to fork you know it's really rounded almost like the end of a baseball bat uh, hard to tell what could come out of that. Right. Yeah, what? it might just be a really bladed time, or right. it might split and fork. So, so an antler is basically when we start seeing the the tips of the velvet um, tines start to get a point versus a nub, for lack of better description. That's when we can probably say that the the growth is going to be about finished. Is that right? Right. Yep. What about non-typical trash? So, you know, you've shot bucks that's had kickers and points all over it. You've tracked them. Will will the non-typical stuff come out after the frame is there, or does that come out at the same time too? It pretty much comes out at the same time as that main beam is growing out. Um, you know, if there's going to be a non-typical point, like a drop time, for example, it'll happen as that beam comes around. Okay. So, I mean, I'm, I'm teeing up a lot of questions. We always talk about how you take a lot of stuff for granted. I think there's a lot of listeners that, that don't really understand this whole cycle. So I know right. it's a lot of questions I'm asking, but I think there's a lot of people that might help. So what we're really looking for and when we're, we're sizing up bucks or is that one a shooter or not, when you see sharp points on tines, you know, the buck's not going to get any more massive. The buck's not going to get any wider. 
you know, the beams might curl around farther and finish the point out. But until when you see sharp points, it's pretty much done. Is that right? Yep. Okay. I think that's a fair assessment. All right. So uh, you're you're hoping to see a lot of bucks that you're uh, seeing right now with a bunch of big nubs and not sharp points, right? That's right. (laughs) Because I know if they've got their sharp points, they're pretty much done and they're wrapping up the antler growth. Well, if they've um, got those big rounded ends and they're still growing. Yeah. So if that makes sense to everybody, I hope that helps. We've had a lot of questions. Um, I know we get asked a bunch during velvet season, how old do you think he is? How big do you think he's going to be? And it's because people are excited about the possibility of him being a giant. And, uh, you know, you got to kind of understand that growing cycle to be able to digest that for yourself. So hopefully that helps people. Uh, before we talk about Don's best and worst of the week, uh, you want to go into your um, your song that you shared from Aaron Lewis called "I Am the Only One." I'm, am I the only one? I think is the title, right? Am I the only right. one? Am I the only one? There yep. you go. <laughs> Anybody that follows me on social media might have seen a post that I made and, and scratched their head and couldn't believe I made that, that or shared that song, but. It probably deserves an explanation. And, and what happened was my son-in-law, Corey, um, sent me a that song by text. And I listened to it, and, I mean, it blew me away. It just it almost brought tears to my eyes. It just it was the, the guy that wrote the song and sings the song is so talented. And, and I mean, it's, it's just a fantastic song. And, and uh, so I went when I got home later on, on the 4th of July, actually, I think it was the next day, um, I went to YouTube. I found the song, just clicked the link. Cause you'd already listened it. to it a bunch of times. Yeah. I'd listened to it several times. So I copied the link on, from YouTube and, and made a post that here's my new theme song. <laughs> Please listen. Blah, blah, blah. Well, I didn't realize that there was a, a very vulgar version of the same song by the same artist with explicit lyrics. Yeah, very explicit li- lyrics, and uh, so I shared that, and I thought, well, this is weird. I thought more people would have liked it than that, <laughs> and somebody messaged me and said, did you listen to that song before you shared it? So, yeah, I listened to it several times, and you and then they said, and you heard all that vulgarity and still shared it? I said, what vulgarity? And I, I went and clicked on the link that I'd shared, and it's like, this isn't what I meant to share, <laughs> but uh you know, it really kind of brings up a very interesting topic because, uh, you know, once I reshared, I apologize for sharing that link, and then I shared the cleaner version, if you will, and uh, it kind of brings up an interesting topic because, you know, it just uh, I had to kind of humble myself a little bit here and just go back in time 25 years or so. At one time, I had probably the filthiest mouth of anyone you ever heard. And I mean, a lot of people think I'm a pretty good deer hunter, but I was a, I was a world-class cusser. I mean, I could hold my own with anybody. I, I was so good that I made up new cuss words. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I grew up and, uh, and I got Jesus in my heart and, and it was, it was so, uh, such an easy habit to break once, once that happened, um, my wife and I started going to church about uh, 12 years ago. And uh, at that time, I, I'd, I'd cleaned it up, you know, quite a bit. I worked in a factory for 20 years, and that was just typical language. But then I got out of there um, 
20 years ago and um i was around home a lot more and i just i cleaned up my language some but i mean i still would let it let it fly on a fairly regular basis and then start going to church you know and and uh, it was just like almost overnight i i quit using that language and uh and today when I hear, you know, some of those words that I used to use three or four times in the same sentence, I, I, I just cringe. And, and that's the way this version of the song was. And, you know, I just, what really strikes me is, is that if I would have heard that, that vulgar version of this song first, I would have probably just, you know, not even listened to the, to it all the way through the first just, time. Just I would have been right the end then. of it. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, as I've grown up and, and matured, I, I think that, you know, some of these younger guys don't realize the impact that a bad habit like that has on their life. And I'm going to share a perfect example is a couple of years ago, a young man came to me and he wanted to work with me on some marketing things, you know, for my business. Um, he he was in the outdoor industry a little bit and he was looking to expand and, and he thought that, uh, you know, he could help me to expand my business and, and that. And and I, I met with him, and he made a great impression. He was very polite, well-spoken, and and uh, I, I'd send him a bunch of my pictures and stuff. We was going to work together. Well, then I, I got on the, the Internet one night, and I, I did a search for his name, and I, I started seeing videos that he had produced and was a part of. And, and I see this young man, you know, not only using vulgar language, but he's got beer cans in his videos and things like that, and he, he's drinking in his videos. and you know, immediately I knew I wasn't going to work with this, this young man. And, uh, I just kind of pulled the plug on what, what I'd started and politely stepped away. But you know, going back to this song, in my opinion, there was no need for that vulgar version. Um, anybody that liked the vulgar version would absolutely love the other, the cleaner version. And, but it's not vice versa. There, there, there's certain, a percentage of the population that's going to be offended and uh, they're not going to listen to it. So, you know, if, if you take that vulgar approach uh, in your language or whatever, there's going to be doors and people that are, that are going to close because of it. And, you know, I probably closed a lot of doors with my bad language in the past. Um, luckily I've moved past it, but that, that doesn't mean you're never going to hear it bad word come out of my mouth you know i'll slip up just like anybody else but it's going to be a whole lot less frequently than it used to be yeah, and uh you know the platform we've been given here terry we just you know we're trying to set a, a good example for young guys and um you know that's one lesson that took me several years to to learn i know there's a lot of guys probably in their 20s and 30s that could, you know, pick this up. And, and we're not just talking about deer hunting here. We're talking about life and the doors that could be opened or closed uh, just because of the perception people have of you. And one really easy way to clean up your perception is to clean up your language. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one comment that I, that I heard a couple of times, you know, after I made that apology post was don't apologize and, and quit being offended so easily. There the, the, problem with this country is everybody is so easily offended well i disagree i think there's some things that are worth being offended about you know i'm offended when i see somebody burning a flag you know i'm offended when i see these professional athletes taking a knee you know when the national anthem is being played 
I think there's things that we should be offended about. And, and that language offends a lot of people. So, you know, I just, I'm not perfect by any means. And, and that doesn't, this little spiel of mine doesn't mean you're never going to hear me slip up and, and a bad word slip out. I, I hope that never happens, but you know, I'm not perfect. Um, I, I strive to be better each day than I was the day before, but I know I got a long way to go. So, uh, anyway, I just thought I, it was a great lesson, especially when I tied it back to the hunting industry that I think a lot of the young guys that are listening to this podcast, it'll give them something to think about, you know, clean up your language and it might open some doors for you that otherwise wouldn't have been there. I, I relate it to all of these guys that say, I never got to, sh- why doesn't that ever happen for me? Or why, why don't I ever get a shot or, you know, meaning make it in the outdoor industry. And, and a lot is how you carry yourself. And trust me, I remember specifically the, if my mother would have known what I said when that bow blew up on my, in my face last year and the third weekend of September, uh, when I missed that buck, uh, I'd be, I'm 44 years old and she'd probably have a bar of soap in my mouth. But, um, you know, we're not perfect, but um, people got to understand everything that you put out there is making an impression on somebody. That could be a job interview. That could be a future partnership. That could be a marketing opportunity. That could be someone wanting to, um, you know, um, network with you for some odd reason. God opens up doors for everybody, just like that um, the guy that I met on the patio of a hotel in downtown Indy. There's always going to be that opportunity to meet somebody or do something or network. And if if I would have come down there with a bad attitude, cursing and whatnot, that guy would have never given me the, you know, or he would have done that to me. We would have never struck up a conversation. So um, the thing that I I think that, um, you know, is another lesson here is you're not scared to call it like it is, but most people that will stand up and, 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 be as outspoken as you are, will never stand up and say, oops, my bad, I messed up, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. uh, and I respected, I didn't, I didn't actually, we were so busy last weekend with Lester's feet, you posted that, and we talked about it on last week's podcast, I never even went and listened to it, so I didn't even know what was going on, but, or I would have said something to you, but, um, you know, I, I think it says a lot that not only are you outspoken to say what you just did about, you know, being offended for burning flags and taking kneels and all that kind of stuff, but you're also man enough to say, I messed up and uh, sorry if I offended anybody. Here was what my intention was. And I think I think that's a, a, um, a quality a lot of guys don't have that are willing to flap their gums about their opinion about something. Well, you're never going to hear me say I'm perfect and uh... – in fact, I've got a lot of flaws and, you know, as, as Christians, we shouldn't be looking to other Christians for an example of how to live. We should be looking for, to Christ because all of us are, are sinners and we all have our faults, but uh, all we can do is try to get better as, as we get older and try to set better examples for the younger ones. And, you know, that's what we're doing with this entire podcast area is, um, you know, just trying to show people that we're human we, we make mistakes as well as anybody else but uh um you know set the example for these young guys the best religious advice i can ever give somebody is you, your relationship with god is what's important because if you have a relationship with him all those little bumps in the roads and those mess ups 
Jesus came and the salvation takes care of those. If the relationship's not there, then that's when it's in trouble. And uh, we were actually sitting in Sunday school this morning, and um, one of the guys that uh, he's he's a real good friend of ours, and my wife's been on mission trips to Haiti with him. He even spoke up and said that, you know, we gotta quit. We gotta quit using God like he's the spare tire. The spare yep. tire nobody ever thinks about until they need it. You know, it's it's we know it's there, and we hope it's got air in it. But oh, it's awful important when uh, when we um, um, you know, have a flat tire. We got to trust in it. But mm-hmm. you know, you you can't just rely on it when it's convenient for you. And I think that's where that relationships with him comes in. So yeah. I seen a good one on uh, Facebook this week. It said, uh, don't use God as your spare tire. Use him as your steering wheel. There you go. So I thought that was pretty good. But anyway, uh, back to the song we're talking about at the end of this podcast. Uh, Terry has uh, got that song ready to play. So if you did not get to hear that song, I know there's a lot of Amish friends out there, and a couple of them have reached out to me. And we're going to play that song at the end of this podcast, the clean version. Yeah. So that uh, you can see why I was so excited about it. I uh, I make. Are you there? We had some interference come in. You hear that? Yeah. What was that? I'm out in my shed and my my air compressor kicked off. <laughs> it did that to me one night when I was sleeping on the other side of the wall, and I think I stood straight up in bed. Um, well, I ran and unplugged it. So I. Uh, I uh, I did make sure it was the clean version when I when I downloaded it. So uh, we'll have to throw some uh, little disclaimers before we play that, but uh, we'll we'll leave all the information for our listeners if they want to go listen to that um, at the end. So yeah. I'm I'm excited about this uh, this next segment that we're going to talk about Don's best and worst of the week, and uh, this is just kind of an idea to build upon different things that you see in the outdoor community, not necessarily the outdoor industry but just the outdoor community that you see every week that you think you want to draw attention to, both good and bad. So uh, I'm excited to hear what you got cooking for this week. Yeah, and, and I'll throw out there right here from the start that a lot of this stuff is going to come out of our off of social media. That doesn't mean it all will, but uh, some of it will. So, you know, the best thing that, that I've seen this week was all the uh, support that Lester Speed has, has gotten uh, – People have really jumped on board uh, what you started, Terry. And, you know, we've already got donations in hand for the next drawing. Um, they came in, you know, too late to be in this drawing, so we just held them that are being the next drawing. And, and I think this uh, foundation you started is just going to get bigger and bigger each year. And as, as the, the hunting industry and the hunting community learns about uh, the foundation, I think it's just going to uh, – there's going to be – more prizes and more tickets sold and more families helped in the end. So I would have a, a hard time in this past week finding anything better than 140000 dollars raised for families of six children in such a short amount of time just uh, through that Lester Speed Foundation that you started. And more importantly to that, not to get off track, um, I thought it was important that I personally called every winner um, I mm-hmm. wish I could call everyone that ordered a ticket, but it would take me a couple months to get through there. But, you know, we had everybody's addresses, but I wanted to call them personally, thank them, uh, congratulate them, 
and just touch base with them. But, you know, I got three leads from new families that we're going to be able to help by calling each of those, each of the winners. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's so, fantastic. So we're, uh, we're navigating that right now. And then the board did out of the money that came in, uh, the board reviewed has, they're starting to review a lot of cases, but we did, um, we did vote and, uh, we're going to be helping another family, um, here with some travel logistics and some expense money for, uh, going out of town to, for their daughter to have a surgery here. So we'll be posting information about that on the, on the website and, uh, on Facebook very shortly. So, um, God, well, it, it doesn't, it doesn't do any good for this money to sit in the bank. So the money that's been donated a hundred percent is going back out, but we're, we're, um, we're working hard to, uh, evaluate need of a lot of different families and get this stuff paid out to where it helps people. I would just encourage everyone to follow Lester's Feet Foundation on uh, Facebook. Um, there's going to be 100% transparency uh, where this money's going. You'll get to meet the families that, that's being helped and, uh, you know, just see that this is legit. And 100% uh, of the money that you folks have spent on tickets and the prizes you donated, all, all that money is going to these families. So I encourage you to follow Lester's Feet on uh, facebook so all right so the fun part what's the worst of the week you know the worst thing i've seen this week terry is is, is actually kind of sickening but it was uh there's a couple guys from tennessee that were arrested um for some poaching of deer and turkeys in your home state of kentucky um these two tennessee guys uh, i guess traveled up your way and, and uh i didn't understand there there was some I don't know, head scratching on exactly what the charges were. They did come out and say that they were they were caught uh, shooting turkeys out, out of a window of a truck on land they did not have permission to be on. Uh, there was some reference made to, to some illegal deer that were harvested too. But, uh, I, you know, I just think that uh, that just gives us all a black eye, all hunters. And I'm glad these guys were caught. Um, I have no idea if they were caught because, uh, you know, ethical hunters turned them in or what. But, uh, you know, guys, we need to kind of police ourselves. And when you see this kind of garbage going on, we need to, uh, you know, report it. Um, I'm, I'm not one for going around bashing people. If you don't have facts, keep your mouth shut. But if you do have facts, and especially if you witnessed it firsthand, uh, we need to address these things. But I thought the that was a black eye for the hunting industry or hunting community rather that, uh, these two Tennessee guys were, uh, arrested. And it was a pretty big deal. Cause I mean, there was even a, uh, it was on the news. I seen a news clip, um, from a TV station down your way, um, that, that was talking about it. So we don't need that kind of publicity. And, uh, I had a hard time finding anything worse than that this week. Well, these guys, um, and just to clarify, these these guys uh, have not been convicted yet. Um, and it, from what I understand, with uh, the news stories, is is a lot of this went down here in the um, I'll probably the last two two and a half weeks, and I'm not sure over what period of time it is. But it never fails, you know. The guys who talk the loudest pound their chest the most, and you know, pretend to be the all-out expert of everything. Sometimes there's there's uh, 
a dark side to some things and uh it's unfortunate and uh you know you never know um it's not my place to judge these guys but it, it sure is sickening the guys that are going on you know forums and social media and pretending to be the uh the next gift to the hunting industry are the ones that end up breaking the law so you know i don't know what this arraignment is gonna gonna bring out but uh it, it looks pretty serious for these two fellers yeah I'm, i guess we probably should just leave it at that um not looking to crucify them we we all have sin but uh that was sure a big black eye for the hunting community right there yeah and i think um i think the lesson for us is there's always somebody watching and if you do stuff the wrong way eventually you're going to get caught whether these guys were doing it the wrong way time will tell on that but sooner or later karma comes back to bite you you know what i mean yep so all right. Well, that was the first best and worst of the week. I, I alluded to a story that we were, and it's probably a good thing the Lester's feet one uh, uh, happened last week. We, we do have another one, but we haven't decided if we're going to talk about it yet or not. So we'll we'll let that one keep keep brewing for a little bit and uh, and see where that one goes. So um, with that, we're at the thirty seven minute mark. Can we go on to the buyfarm.com segment? Yeah, we probably should. All right. Buyafarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now, here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. Okay, this week's featured property is a uh, online option for 75 acres in Alexander County, Illinois. Um, that auction will end um, Thursday, August 12th at 8 p.m. Um, the reason that I, I selected this property is it adjoins the, the Shawnee National Forest on a couple of different sides. So, uh, this property would, would not only, uh, would, would give you access to all that ground besides allowing you to hunt your own property. Um, it, it looks like pretty rough wooded terrain, but I'm guessing you could probably get some food plots in there on some of that ground and draw some of those deer from a whole lot more area than just the 75 acres you own um, but anyway if you're interested in this property uh, contact wayne keller at 618-407-1679 and i'm sure he'd be glad to to show you but i think it's a property that could also be bought very reasonable so uh, you might check that out on the buyafarm.com website 75 acre online auction in alexander county illinois Anything that butts up against that Shawnee National Forest is going to be good. It's going to hunt a whole lot bigger than 75 acres. All right. So, all right, give Wayne Keller a call or visit the buyafarm.com uh, website to learn more about this property in Alexander County, Illinois. Yep. All right. You got ready some for some submitted questions? Yeah, I think I think we're ready for that. All right, the first one comes from Ryan Ellenboss from Zeeland, Michigan. Um, Ryan says, after hearing about bucks having such different patterns in the summer months than in the fall, I don't understand how you can diligently scout the public and private land in Iowa and rule out any of the areas or properties that bucks will probably just move into the area later anyway. How do we do good summer scouting and pictures if the bucks will change their patterns come hunting season anyway how do you approach your 
you were scouting in Iowa knowing that a giant could very well move in later anyway? I think that's a fantastic question. That's, that's why question. I picked it. Um, so thanks for submitting that, Ryan. But, uh, you know, what I'm trying to do in Iowa is I'm trying to put myself uh, within the home range of, of a giant box or, or multiple giant box. And that starts with finding those bucks. So when it comes to these places in Iowa and my summer pictures, I've referenced a time or two on this podcast, an article that I wrote titled same time, same place or no, no, I take that back. It was homecoming bucks, different article, homecoming bucks. And in that article, I detailed how very early in the rut and very late in the rut, a lot of times a, a buck will return to where he summered. You know, if he's got a different fall range than where he summered, a lot of times if he can't find a hot doe during the early rut or the very late rut in his fall range, he will run back to his summer range and uh, and look there. So just because that buck has moved on um, and shifted his range does not mean that you have zero chance of killing him. And me going in... To, to Iowa basically pretty much blind um, I, I just got to get as much intel as I possibly can and you know I may not I'm going to continue to run those cameras you know right on through hunting season but uh, anything I can gain this summer could potentially be used very early very late in the rut um, for the, for those homecoming bucks and, and that's how that, that information will be used if if I get a picture of a buck this summer, I will continue to monitor to see if he did, you know, in fact, shift his range and leave, or if he's staying in the area. What I've seen in, in especially in ag country is that about 50% of them bucks or of the bucks I get photos of will shift and have a separate fall range, but about 50% of them will actually stay really close to where they summered. So those, those bucks would, st would definitely be in play too, but, this just kind of gives me a little bit of head start leading into the fall. Well, I'm going to ask the same question a different way. You could pick a – would you – if you had two choices, you could go hunt a farm blind that you knew was – had a history of being a great place to hunt and just waited it out, or you had a lead on one good buck and were – were not uh, able to hunt as good of properties from the aerial or topo map, but you knew it was in his core range, which one would you pick in the Iowa circumstance? Does that make oh, sense? That's a, that's a tough question. Yeah. Just going on past history of a property versus. Uh, mm -hmm. Cause what it sounds like, what, what it sounds like to me in Illinois, you're trying to do above all is get a lead on a buck. When you get right. the lead on a buck, then you start really studying where would he go when he shifts? Where is his core range? What's he looking for as he prepares for the rut? Maybe comes and makes a run back pre and uh, early and late. Where's he going to go late season based on food? And you can put your plan together versus mm -hmm. I got a good spot. I'm going to go hunt it. What's there is there. I think you're past that point in your hunting career where you're just going to go set up and hope for the best. Right. And I think I would, well, I know I, w I would choose the option where I know for a fact there's a, there's a shooter buck there. And the reason for it is I've got to the point where the bucks I want to shoot are pretty darn rare and they're not everywhere. So, right. you know, probably 75% of the terrain or the properties do not have, or maybe more than that, maybe 90% 
uh, potential properties in the zone that I have in Iowa probably don't have a buck I want to shoot. And so I, I need to make sure I'm spending my time on a property where at least it's in that buck's home range. Well, and, and I, I hope you don't mind me using this as an example, but your home farm is a perfect example of that. Yep. I mean, you've shot two 200s off of there this year. There might be something that sh- in past years, but this mm-hmm. year you don't you don't really have anything that that necessarily is one that 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 could even come close to that. One might show up, so you're, that's why you're out looking at all these other properties, running all these other cameras, searching for a buck versus just sitting in the same sands you know that have been good over the past few years. Yeah, that's absolutely true, Terry. That's why I've been out getting information on more properties and putting out more cameras. I think I've got 18 new Reconyx cameras this year to add to what the ones I already had. And those cameras are, some of them are in Iowa, but some of them are, a lot of them are, you know, here within an hour of my home as I'm searching for a giant because uh, I really do not expect to have one on my farm this year. So just, uh, you know, not to drag Ryan's question out, the data that everybody's getting right now for velvet bucks and in the summer it's not bad information but we do have to also understand that that there is a good chance that a lot of those bucks will shift and it's it's learning the game about where they go and then other bucks are going to come into that area too right so great question right all right we'll move on to the next question it comes from victor wittenbach from elgin illinois Victor says, Dear Terry and Don, I know you have talked about your new Genesis drill and how great of a product it is. I've been looking into purchasing one or something similar to try to improve time and save money on seed with more accurate seed-to-soil ratios. I have planted real-world products for several years, and the Harvest Salad recommends that you broadcast a plant. My question is, will you use the Genesis to plant your harvest salad plot topper deadly dozen. Would you drill the harvest salad and overseed the plot topper by broadcasting the extreme blower, drill it in all together, broadcast it all together? I really appreciate all the truth and knowledge you two have shared since the beginning and hope this podcast continues for many years to come. I appreciate your honesty and your ability to express your rights about your beliefs and feelings. God bless. Uh, well, Victor, that's a great question because, uh, you know, in those seed mixes that you mentioned, there's different sizes of seeds. And, uh, but the, the great thing about the Genesis drill is that, that it'll plant mixes, it'll plant different size seeds. But when it comes to um, the Deadly Dozen, which is a combination of the plot topper and the harvest salad, what I plan to do personally is I'm going to take and use the extreme blower and I'm going to blow on that plot topper seed. So the plot topper will be the turnips, the radish, sugar beets, those small seeds um, that you can broadcast on top of the ground and get a good rain and and you'll get a good stand. Um, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by just using that extreme blower and blow on that plot topper. Then the harvest salad, which is a mixture of your cereal grains like wheat, oats, barley, and also has some Austrian winter peas, those seeds will, will do better if they get some some soil coverage. And I, so I'm going to go over and drill them after I broadcast. And me running that, that drill and my tractor across the ground is going to just help 
improve the germination of that plot topper that was previously broadcast. And uh, I have a feeling that's going to do fantastic uh, for that deadly doesn't blend the planet that way. But uh, the Genesis drill, you know, it, it was designed for a wide variety of seeds. And, and I know that there's going to be people uh, there at Genesis tell me or at, at wildlifefarming.com that you can just throw that, that whole mix in there, uh, all 12 seed species. And uh, the agitator in that seed box will keep it all stirred up and it'll do fine. I just, uh, I'm afraid of that, uh, those bulb plants being planted too close together, that small seed, you know, falling out and, and it's in those rows and it's just too close together. You need some space for, for those plants to develop those bulbs. And uh, I just feel a lot better blowing that on with that extreme blower and then using the Genesis drill for, for the rest of that mix. So. The, um, the thing you need to really watch with the Deadly Dozen product is um, if you're doing large patches of it, even in a broadcast spreader, the vibration of driving will separate those seeds a little bit. You can even look in when you get your bag. Um, all the brassicas are kind of at the bottom and the fluffier ciliar grains are at the top. So not speaking of the genesis, I'm going to back out from Victor's question a little bit and just talk about drills in general. Um, you know, some drills have a small seed box and then a large seed box on the same one that you can drill at the same time. If, yep. if your unit had that, I would maybe buy the plot topper separate and put it in the small one, set that ratio for that little, those little bitty seeds and open the bigger side for your harvest salad. So the peas will still go down in, but anytime you got that hole big enough for a pea to go in, remember that like 15 of those small brassica plants could go through at the same time. So, um, you know, the, the units are getting more sophisticated to where they can handle it, but just know that if you get those bulbs too close together, they're not going to produce and, uh, they'll choke themselves out. So good question. Yep. For sure. Okay. We got one more. This one comes from Brandon Wolf from Rice's Rice's Landing, Pennsylvania. Uh, hey, Don and Terry, big fan of the podcast. Don, over the course of hunting and consulting career, what is the most memorable memorable moment over the course of it all? Thanks and God bless. Well, I picked your – I think it's a great question, Brandon. I picked it um, for a reason because I, I don't think that I've really got, you know, one most memorable moment you know, over all of it. Um, the thing that I've said numerous times is I think that the best thing or the greatest thing that deer hunting ever did for me was the friends that I made through deer hunting. And uh, I've really appreciated that more the older I've got. It's the people that deer hunting has brought into my life that are more important than the deer. So um, that's one thing that uh, you know I'm proud of is the friends that I've made through deer hunting. Um, I'm proud of the fact that, uh, you know, I founded real world wildlife products and it's become extremely successful. Um, there's not many companies in the, in the hunting industry that have been in business for, uh, was this our 12th year or 13th year? I think it's our 13th year, 13th year. And, and we've grown every single year for 13 years and, and it's been significant growth. I mean, last year. We grew 60%, and this year we're 
you know, about that same level. And there's not many companies that are doing that. And I think the reason for it is, uh, for one thing, I think we're a blessed company. I think we try to do things right. And uh, I kind of, I look at other companies and try to model um, what I do after them. I've talked about Matthews. And, uh, you know, I think the reason Matthews is so successful is because they're blessed. They've got their priorities in order, and I think that's a blessed company. Um, outside of the hunting industry, you look at Chick-fil-A. You drive by a Chick-fil-A restaurant, and there will be two lines of cars for the drive through at lunchtime. That sometimes will be 20 cars long each, and they just do such a fantastic job. But, you know, where they at on Sundays, they're closed on Sundays. It's a, a Christian-owned company that's blessed. And, uh, I just try to, uh, you know, keep customer service in mind and, uh, that's how we've ran real world. And, uh, we put out quality products. Um, we've tried to be fair with our customers and our dealers and, and that's something else that I'm proud of. I don't know if you have anything to add there, Terry, or, um, I think deer hunting can bring the best or the worst out in somebody. <laughs> And, you know, we've, we've gained a lot of friends. We've lost a few friends, um, through the whole, the whole journey. Um, it's your decision about what you're going to make out of it. It's like the, the conversation we had at the beginning of the podcast. It's, it's how you act, how you treat others and how you expect to be treated. And your circle might get smaller the older you get, but, um, you know, the relationships mean more. So, yeah, we've, we've we've been blessed to be able to meet a lot of new people, even in, even since we even started Lester's feet, we've met some phenomenal people. Yeah. And, and you know, I think Brandon was probably expecting a totally different answer. He was probably expecting me to talk about killing 200 inch bucks. And, or the guy that said, whip it out. <laughs> <laughs> that was a memorable moment. <laughs> I don't know if I would call it the most memorable moment. <laughs> Maybe, maybe one I just as soon forget. There but, you go. Um, you know, the, <laughs> as, as far as the hunting goes, I, I don't think that I can say that my biggest bucks are my most memorable. Now, my first 200 was definitely a very memorable buck. Um, just because he was the first buck that I ever hunted one-on-one. -on -one. Just that was the only buck I was going to shoot. Uh, you know, I was targeting one individual buck. It was the first time I ever did it after I laid eyes on him. And, uh, I, I got it done, you know, within 30 days, I had that buck on the ground and it kind of proved to me that it, it is possible to hunt for one specific animal. And it kind of took my, my whole hunting in a different direction, a new direction, if you will. So I was very proud of that buck, but, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of bucks that are very memorable. The Joey buck from last year, how, how it all fell into place and, and, you know, the whole hunt lasted less than 30 minutes. And I watched that deer for three summers to, through two hunting seasons before ever hunting him, then go in on the first day and, uh, you know, shoot him within 30 minutes of the first hunt. And, that, you know, that was the fourth buck that I'd shot on the first hunt um, since 2014. Um, kind of proud of that, but, you know, none of those bucks that, that I shot, you know, on the first hunt were the 200 inchers, but they were all mature deer. I think we can get too hung up on score, um, just to be honest. And I know I chase the big ones as hard as anyone does, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not broken hearted at the end of a season. If I don't kill one either, it's just, you know, I've accepted that when you raise the bar that high, that, that you're not going to kill one every year. 
there's just not that many of them around. And I'm fine with that because I went through the other stages, you know, where I've shot bucks of every age class, including year and a half old bucks. I'm sitting here in my shed. I'm looking at two year and a half old bucks hanging on the wall that I shot years back. So I've been through all those stages and, uh, it's just, it really boils down to the older I get, the more important people come or become and the the less important the deer become. Although I sure cherish those deer and the memories that uh, I've made over the years. Relationship wizard. That's what I'm going to call you this, this episode. (laughs) Well, there's plenty of wizards out there. there? (laughs) (laughs) All right. That was a good question though. (laughs) Yep. Thanks for submitting it, Brandon. Uh, I had to scratch my head a little bit, uh, when I first read your question and I I knew I was going to use it as soon as I read it, but I had to think about what my answer was going to be. And, and I knew my answer would probably throw you off and not be not something different than what you expected. All right. Good episode. Uh, what do you got cooking this coming week? Uh, more of the same, um, more trail a, cameras. I got two more landowners that I want to visit and see if I can continue my role of good luck and get permission from them. And if so, then I'll be putting out the, a few more trail cameras and hoping this rain shuts off. Um, I'd like for them to get to work on my new house and get it finished before deer season, but I don't think that's going to happen the way they're going. Yep. I might have to make a run up in uh, the end of the month and, and spray the food plot up there in Illinois. we got a little bit of grass in it, but I want to tell you something. My plots in Kentucky are the best they've ever been. I shared a couple of pictures of those on my social media. I've, I haven't had beans this, this good and clover this good in uh, quite a few years. Well, mine are looking good as well, and I think a lot of it's the weather. You know, we're using the same seed we used last year. Yep. So, uh, you know, the seed gets the blame. It never gets the credit. It gets the blame. But uh, I think the weather this year has been pretty ideal. We've just had continual moisture, and uh, those plants got going good, and they never stopped growing. I had a guy that I went to high school with. He corrected me on it. He said maybe the reason that mine are so good this year is I didn't plant any of them because I had back surgery. So <laughs> Todd Covey, Patrick Simpson, and Don Higgins get all the credit because they did they did all the work <laughs> on my food plots this year. So we might have to we might have to keep that rolling for next year. Yeah, I know where this is going to end up. <laughs> I'm going to have a full time job. Oh, there's worse things in life. Yep, for sure. All right, so um, when uh, when you get done taking us out with the sponsors, uh, we're going to the outro music is actually going to be um, this video or uh, audio from Aaron Lewis. Uh, Am I the only one? We do not own the rights to this music. Um, this uh, um, we tried to reach out to Aaron to get permission to to use it on the podcast but uh did not have any luck in getting a response it is published and copyrighted by Big Machine Label Group LLC Aaron's webpage is aaronlewismusic.com he is going to be out on tour this year so if you're interested in learning more about him please visit his website um again we do not own the rights to this music and uh, hope nobody gets too offended by us. If somebody that listens, a lot of people listen to our podcast, and um, if somebody has a connection to Aaron, we know he's a deer hunter. Uh, personally, I, I know Don and I would like to reach out to him and just thank him for being a patriot and uh, and and coming up with lyrics like this that, that mean a lot to the people that 
kind of think the same way. So after Don gets done thanking our sponsors, we're going to play this. And for you YouTube listeners, this will not be on uh, the uploaded YouTube version. So with that, go ahead, Don. All right. We want to thank our sponsors, buyafarm.com, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, wildlifefarming.com, Quiet Cat Bikes, Matthews Archery, Real World Wildlife Products, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, and Vengeance Camo. Hope you guys enjoy this song. I think it's fantastic. Aaron Lewis, I am I the only one. Big Machine Label Group, LLC. Am I the only one here tonight Shaking my head and thinking something ain't right Is it just me? Am I losing my mind? Am I standing on the edge of the end of time? Am I the only one? Tell me I'm not Who thinks of taking all the good we got And turning it back Hell, I'll be damned I think I'm turning into my old man Am I the only one Willing to bleed Or take a bullet for being free Screaming what the hell at my TV For telling me Yeah, you telling me
Okay. Hey. 